0: For the past 15 years or so, four couples, aggregate age about 500, have gathered every few months for dinner, rotating from house to house. The host couple provides the main course and a starch. The others, appetizers, salad, and dessert. Before we eat, we drink. A lot. And while we drink, we read. Out loud. A chapter from a novel, maybe or a short story, passed from person to person so everyone gets a chance to read. Because there is zero preparation for this literary part of the evening, we call ourselves Stupid Book Club. (coughs) Despite our best efforts, we're now an OHI Institution.
1: story. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell and I am a Townie. I am a Townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, The raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience, well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same, to go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories, because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the neighborhood. Episode 5, Our Little Pleasures. First story, The Whole Arbolata, written and performed by Megan Berkvist. Megan has been taking my class for almost as long as I have been teaching in Ohio. Over the last few years, she has been collecting her pieces for an equally hilarious and poignant one-woman show about her life as a cancer survivor, coffee shop owner and constant overthinker.
2: So, I'm driving to my chiropractic appointment, and one of the things I love about living in Ojai is that there are a myriad of ways to get from one place to another. For instance, I live in Miners Oaks, and there are at least three different ways that I can travel to get to downtown, a.k.a. Ojai proper. I can go take La Luna and go way up over Fairview, appropriately named for the amazing view at the top, and then descend down Foothill into town. Or, I can take the road most traveled, God bless you, M. Scott Peck, going past Nordoff and Bonds and then making a left at the Y. Or, I can traverse the ancient byways of the Arbolada. <laughs> Having just gotten off an hour-long call with my life coach, having a cup of chamomile tea, and completing a very relaxing guided imagery CD, my choice was clear. You see, I've been contemplating the big questions lately, like what's next in my life, and can I be a barista forever, and do I really want to, or do I want to be a life coach? I love my life coach. And it's the latest thing these days, you know? I mean, helping other confused people figure out what's next for them. And you really don't have to know how to do anything except for talk to people and listen. And I do that all day anyway, so maybe, or do I want to go back to school and become a certified drug and alcohol counselor. Lord knows I have the background and the qualifications, if you know what I mean. Helping my fellows to stay sober and stay on their path of sobriety and clean living? Or, or do I want to sell real estate? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a family business, and I've often thought I'd be good at it. You know, helping people to find their perfect cozy nest, but is my heart in it? Maybe. All I know is that I really want what I do to have meaning and purpose and make a difference somehow, to have a positive effect on humanity. Anyway, all all these (laughs) thoughts were really stressing me out, so it's been suggested to me by several people that I slow it all down, take deep breaths, in for four, hold for two, out for three, Uh, and use this time to practice aggressive self-care. And it's pretty exciting. (laughs) In a very meditative way. So I make my way up Kuyama. That's where my riding coach lives, with her new husband. And I'm instantly reminded that driving through the Arbolada is really like taking a journey through Ojai's history. First, we see the Nordhoff Cemetery off to the left. Established in 1870 with its grand headstones and small, simple grave markers that that go back to Civil War veterans buried at the turn of the century, it is the sweetest cemetery ever. And even though it's technically full, someone told me they can still squeeze you in if you're contemplating cremation. (laughs) Next we see all the glorious oaks that line the the, the winding roads lined with river rocks and an incredibly diverse array of flora and fauna, and then the beautiful homes, each with their unique architecture and color palette and style, and I've even come to appreciate the many stop signs (laughs) that keep the traffic to the slow and meandering pace. So I'm just passing that odd but lovely pink Spanish Pueblo-style house with the cactus garden and the blue windows and the ladders when I first notice it. The shiny black sports car speeding up on me from behind. Damn. Sadly, this is one of the risks of choosing this route, of going any route these days, really the pusher. Yeah, I had a feeling I was going to be pushed all the way through to the other side. And I don't hate many things, but I hate being pushed. And, and it's not like I'm a slow person or anything. I'm really more of a go-go-go person, you know, because A, life demands this of us, and B, I do sell coffee for a living. <laughs> But I'm trying to slow it down, to take my time to cruise and relax and even lollygag a little bit. I've even cut my caffeine in half, and as the great Gandhi said, there is more to life than simply increasing its speed. I love that one. (laughs) But when the pushing starts, all my rational thoughts evaporate, and, and, and it's contagious. You know, someone pushes me, and then I push the next person, and maybe not in the same way, but the energy moves forward, and it just seems to grow. And I see it everywhere in our world. I see it at the clothing rack, at Macy's, at the salad bar, in the cafeteria hospital line, uh, and, and at the checkout line at Smart & Final, with those pushy <laughs> interlopers trying to get their items onto the conveyor belt before I'm even done emptying my basket. <laughs> So there she is, yes, it's a woman, right up on my bumper now. But not to worry, I remind myself, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can push you without your consent. I think her quote was actually about inferiority, but I adapted it. Anyway, I will ignore the pusher and I will keep my eyes solely on what's in front of me, and I will remember that I've had a magnificently meditative morning and am on my way to chiropractic alignment. <laughs> so I keep my speed to a safe 20 to 25 miles an hour, which is really the fastest you should ever drive on a small, narrow, winding road like that, especially if you take into account all of the children, the animals, the oncoming traffic, and the very good chance that a great majority of the population is most likely texting while driving these days. <laughs> so, like the tortoise and the hare, slow and steady wins the race not that I was looking to win or anything though I won't deny I did have a little impulse to slow way down (laughs) or do a little light brake tapping but I resisted I have that same temptation sometimes when I'm shopping and someone is pushing up on me from the side silently urging me to go through the hangers faster and I have this fantasy where I stop and ponder a shirt or dress that I have absolutely no interest in for a long period of time. And then I say something like, you might want to move along, because I'm going to be a while. Or, ooh, not too close, I have a fungus. Or something, something like, back off, bitch. But then I just feel bad about myself. Because those are my ugly thoughts, and that's not who I want to be. Maybe they have some real and legitimate reason for their speed shopping and their hanger banging and their pushy, aggressive ways. And as the great quote goes, everyone we meet is is fighting a battle we know nothing about. I can never remember who said that. So I continue driving the speed limit, making full and complete stops. And though there are areas in my life where I am a rebel, The stop sign is not one of them. A legal stop is actually when all tires on your vehicle are not moving, and I like to respect that. So I try not to look at her, but it's difficult. And now I see that she's not only tailgating me, but now she's doing what I call the piggyback stop. Yeah, I make the stop, and then she acts as though my stop were her stop, and then just rolls on through to maintain her very close proximity to my bumper. It's now impossible for me not to look in the rearview mirror, so I flip it up and turn it to the side. But instantly I find my eyes darting to the side mirrors, back and forth, back and forth. Ah! No, no. Remember? Remember the beautiful meditation this morning? Remember our commitment to peace? Ah. So we're finally nearing the edge of the arbolada. At the intersection of Foothill and Elisa with the beautiful Presbyterian Church off to the left. And I am moved to say a quick prayer for guidance and peace and for her to please get off my ass. <laughs> and then I see that she, like me, is going straight. And the idea of six more blocks of this just seems unbearable. So I make a quick but safe decision and I... I, I go to the right, and then she swerves around me, not missing a beat, and into the oncoming traffic lane, and then speeds off to what, wherever was so important in her life. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see something moving and it's my left hand, and it's giving her the flip, the bird, the one-finger salute, not all crazy or anything, just kind of quietly in the car, to myself even, and then I smile and and I laugh, and then the next thing I know, both fingers go up, and this time it's really just for me, because she's just way off in the future. Oh, thank goodness this all happened in the privacy of my own vehicle. That's one of the first things you learn when you move to Ojai, the list. Someone invariably gives you a rundown of what constitutes appropriate behavior while residing in the valley of the moon. And it's kind of like Ojai's own personal Ten Commandments. And at the very top of the list is, Thou shalt not behave badly in public because... And then the example always goes something like, because you never know if that person you offend might be your child's next teacher or your future hydro therapist. <laughs> so I was about halfway down the block when I noticed the black, shiny car at the stop sign completely stopped. And on the back of it was a large bumper sticker that said TOLERANCE in all caps. Wow. For years, I sported the Random Acts of Kindness sticker on the backside of my little Honda, and I really think that the message one chooses to display on their bumper speaks volumes about who they are and what they believe. A Byron Katie quote comes to mind, the person in front of us is always the teacher we need. (laughs) So I see that she's getting out of her car and walking towards me. So many things go through my head. You know, maybe she's just like me and she has a lot going on. Maybe she's going to apologize to smile and say how sorry she is for the error of her driving ways. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she didn't see me with the flipping. You know, she would have had to been looking in the rearview mirror at the precise moment that the first bird flew. And, and then she was hundreds of feet ahead of me when I went for the double salute. So, yeah, there's no way she saw me. Just a quick apology and she'd be on her way. You know, I do have such a bad habit of misjudging people. Of jumping to conclusions. God, it was really good of her to stop. Stop. She probably felt bad for being so rushed. God knows. I've been there. (laughs) That fantasy bubble quickly burst as I noticed her aggressive body language, the very determined march in her step, and that tight-lipped face people get when they're trying to hold back something that is nothing short of rage. And yet, still, I found myself rolling down the window, (laughs) as I would for a friend or a kind neighbor. Oh, what was I thinking? And my next thought, are we going to throw blows? And I haven't been in a fistfight since I was eight years old. She was red-faced and shaking when she got to me. I'm just in a hurry, so don't take it personally. Okay? I'm just in a hurry. And this, this, really, really... And this is a small town, and you just never know. I just sat there, stunned. I mean, I had never flipped anyone off, off while driving in OI before, or anywhere, for that matter. Sure, I'd given the um, disapproving, uh, <laughs> polite but passive-aggressive wave, and the and the oh, the double-handed, what are you thinking, gesture. But this was so much more raw and organic, primal even. And then as if as if as if seeing me for the first time, she said, oh my god, we know each other. We know each other. I had no idea who she was. And this, this is so childish. So childish. And that was the last straw. It isn't childish. It's an ancient Greek ritual. The waving and pointing of the middle finger is actually an invocation used to ward off harm and evil and to avert misfortune and deflect the evil eye. So it's not childish, it's anthropological. And then she angrily gesticulated and walked back to her car and sped off to wherever she was in such a hurry to get to in the first place. I, on the other hand, just sat there, reeling. I had actually let my ugliest self show in public. In high public. For the first time. And though I knew I would relive this moment over and over again and over again... In this moment, it felt good.
1: (laughs) And that was Megan Berkvist. Psalm of the High Jumper Written and performed by John Dobroth A former juvenile court judge in Ventura for many years, John was always known for his thoughtful and creative sentences. Now retired from the bench, he spends his time acting and writing, and even now, perfecting his high jump.
0: Meditate. Separate. Clear the debris. I stand clear-headed, 63 feet from the near-standard. I walk six steps, gathering momentum slowly and evenly until I hit a mark in the grass. I'm a raw nerve sheathed in self-control. My left left foot hits a random object, another check mark. I commence a series of movements, each practiced 10,000 times in discrete drills. So when linked they unconsciously put my left foot precisely at the place intended for the height to be accomplished. My leg swings upward, my arms thrust. Intense pressure is imposed on the earth that propels an entire human body well above its height, higher than a doorway, nearly as high as a ceiling. And then in a moment that makes the 10,000 hours worthwhile comes pure weightless bliss. A feeling etched in my mind and body forever as an animal must feel running free on the savanna and now the descent a pillow of fresh sawdust the crossbar remains in place i look skyward amen
1: thank you john dobros The Western Cape, written and performed by Julia Clark. A world-traveling beauty with a big heart, a longing for adventure, and a spectacular laugh. Starting out six houses to the left of mine, Julia now lives in Eugene, Oregon. She has an amazing way with children and words.
3: Julia, don't worry about them too much. They are just fine I learned quickly three different shades white black and colored and I never got them confused because the difference is important if it wasn't recognizable in their dialect it was always easy to smell black iron bars posed in the pictures painted by each window I instantly filled the lines in with color a habit that soon faded laughs stung my throat and threatened my ears when my elders shared their stories only because I knew at home I would have been crying. There was nothing like Oma's kitchen. Curried pickled fish, beetroot salad, baking bread, warm sugar cookies, boiling pots of soup, and I could never forget the slow-cooked beef stew, her son's favorite. If I could say one place made me feel at home, it would be here. Here, I learned I could never say no, even when I was offered something like peanut butter, liver, and margarine, all on the same piece of toast, a bite that could only add to my memories and refine my palate. Here, I learned easily how Opa liked his coffee and Oma her tea. For Opa and his sensitive, sun-kissed lips, it must always be prepared in a separate cup so it's never too hot. And for Oma, never too long a steep and just a touch of honey. But here, my head spun webs of questions, answers, wonders, and reasons. I sketched images of the colored workers sitting in the flower warehouse on buckets flipped upside down, listening to the radio, eating leftovers from the meal they cooked over a fire in their home made of metal. If they are lucky, they have electricity that they stole from a farmer, their neighbor, I sighed with relief when I listened closely from the kitchen window and heard Pete cough because I knew he was still breathing. Nearly each one of my coworkers has survived tuberculosis at least once, and I've never even had the flu. I watched Renee puff cigarette after cigarette, even though she was 25, pregnant for the fifth time with only one still alive. In two... He was missing a few teeth and always spoke in whispers. I never understood why until I learned his son was shot dead at the age of 17. Soon, all I had left were questions that will forever be unanswered. I couldn't help but look in the rear view mirror, faces from 15 to 65, colored, all women, dressed in blue, hair blowing in every direction, singing, smiling, laughing on our way over a mountain pass. I was in the passenger seat, hot black coffee in my hands and a white farmer to my right. Julia, don't worry about them too much. They are just fine. But I worried when I heard the story about the woman whose hands were zip tied together by my boyfriend's father because she stole carrots out of the ground to feed her family. The next morning, I sat in the Bucky and watched the police search for her in the pitch black shed. She had escaped. And I laughed as I shared the story at the dinner table that night. I needed to be shaken awake each morning because I was mentally exhausted. And always dreaming of what I could do to help. Isabel, 16 months old, crawled into my room just after the sun shone through my window and tapped me on the nose until I picked her up and held her in my arms every morning. We cuddled just long enough for me to remember that I was home. Oma, Opa, Renee, and Isabel, I was in love in the most indescribable way. I never imagined I would find a love like this, so twisted, so imperfect, yet everything worked, but I still numbed my thoughts. I still couldn't think straight. I still fell out of place. I often stretched my arms in search of my cape, but I always wound up with empty hands. And another person telling me how lucky I am. I know a world that needs saving, and I just want to help. Julia, don't worry about them too much. They are just fine. I always understood, even when said, in Afrikaans, but I refuse to comprehend I numbed my thoughts. I looked away and once again reached for my cape, but the loose threads on my sleeve always got caught on the barbed wire that hung from every foot of fencing. And at the end of the day, nothing was saved. My energy was spent, and too many questions still remained. I would move my lips, but I could never say a thing. My American accent was my greatest weapon and my most private of secrets. I didn't like being the lucky girl from the Sunshine State, the best nation where Obama is president and money isn't an issue. I am more than that. I strived to wake up before the sun on a Saturday, but the unanswered questions glued my heart to the pillow top mattress. All I know is some days Nono feels luckier than me. She rides to work in a 10-seater taxi sitting on the lap of the 16th passenger to be paid no more than $15 a day to clean the house that I live in. She is missing most of her teeth and has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen, sings along to the radio as she irons and sweeps as if no one is watching. Today, her son wears my shoes, black high-top Converse with a hole pressed through the right heel. They are probably three sizes too big, but the iron-filled sand will quickly complete the fit. Our differences are important. This is a world that needs saving. I never imagined I would find a love like this, so twisted, so imperfect, yet so alive. Here, I am loved. I am humbled. I am ignited. And for this, I am lucky.
1: And that was Miss Julia Clark. Coming up, Kathy Diorio. When the Townies podcast continues.
4: Why'd you even?
1: To learn more about the artists and music featured on today's podcast, visit thetowniespodcast.org. Godspell, written and performed by Kathy DiOrio. A musical theater-loving New Jersey native, this former Pepsi-Cola executive seamlessly made the transition to all things ohi, meditation, and yoga. Now, with a specialized master's from Pacifica, Kathy is a professional life coach, a friend, and an Ojai Meadow walking partner.
5: It's the spring of 1974, and I'm sitting in the Promenade Theatre on the Upper West Side of Manhattan with my best friends, Susan, Maria, and Nan. This is my favorite way to spend a Sunday afternoon. The theater's dark, the stage is empty, and I settle into the quiet, tingling with anticipation. Soon, the thin wail of the shofar will sound as John the Baptist announces his presence and walks alone onto the stage, singing, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, Godspell. We've already spent the past hour singing, Day by day, day by day. Ah, over and over and over again in the back of the station wagon as Nan's mom drove us into the city. Poor Mrs. Kennelly, she really deserves a medal. She never tells us to stop singing, but she never joins in either. Come to think of it, she never even comes into the theater with us, but she always meets us outside, right under the marquee. We are super psyched. The most exciting thing we have going for us back home is the Short Hills Mall.
4: (laughs) But this
5: is New York City, and you wouldn't believe what we can see out the back window on our drive from the Lincoln Tunnel up Broadway to 77th Street. I love this show. We've already seen it at least five or six times since the start of ninth grade. I've memorized the cast album and liner notes and all the cast biographies. And even though we've never met, I consider them all to be my friends. (laughs) At intermission, they invite the audience to come on stage to drink Manischewitz out of Dixie Cups singing, we all need help to feel fine, let's have some wine. (laughs) Last show, I stood six feet from Jesus. (laughs) I love them all, but he's my man. I'm, I'm a pretty good Catholic. I attend Sunday School and CYO, and I was confirmed last year by Father Wickens. but I've never actually read the Gospels or the Bible. Um, On page 12 of the Playbill, it says that Godspell is based on the Gospel of Matthew. And in the first act, it's kind of fun as John and Jesus and the others sing and dance the parables. But from the very first time that I saw this show, I knew that I was meant to play Mary Magdalene. I've tried on all the roles and all the songs to see which fits best. I could definitely do the tambourine and Day by Day but she seems a little too needy and eager to please. <laughs> no, deep in my bones, I've always known that I was meant to sing the sexy, kinda slutty, bava number that opens the second act. <laughs> Turn back, oh man, forswear thy foolish ways. Oh, now is earth, and none may count to days. da 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 It doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, a frisson of excitement and possibility tickles my spine as Mary Magdalene bursts through the theater doors and vamps her way down the center aisle, making suggestive asides to the audience, even stopping to sit on an unsuspecting man's lap as she makes her way to the stage. See you later, I'm going to the front of the theater. Wow. Her chutzpah, the way she owns the room, and the way Jesus looks at her. (laughs) I rehearsed this number countless times in my bedroom after closing my door, incorporating any little nuance I picked up at the performance that day. At home, I'm known as the good girl, the good student, the good big sister. My dad calls me the wallflower and teases me for being shy, but behind my closed bedroom door where I unleash my super dance powers, I'm a star, a fabulous singer and sultry dancer, and I should know, I've spent hours refining my moves in front of my mirror. (laughs) My room's not long enough to make the whole approach to the stage, (laughs) but I have it down, soulful and sensual, fierce and frenetic, angry and awesome. I can really (laughs) buggy, but only in the privacy of my room. I really can't afford to be these things in real life. I really can't afford to be these things in front of my family. I'm not risking that. On Saturdays, Father Wickens lets us make our confessions face to face in the rectory office now. No more dark confessional coffins and screened anonymity here. Things are getting pretty groovy in the Catholic Church. (laughs) Every week, I say things like, I talk back to my mom. I fought with my brothers. I used five curse words. Normally, he says things like, say, two Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. But yesterday, there was this long pause. And then he said, why don't you start coming once a month instead of once a week? Oh, my god. Oh, my God, even my priest thinks I'm square. I am so tired of being the good girl. Mary Magdalene is my chance to be bad, to free my inner va-va-voom, at least here in the dark theater confident, sassy, sensual, and strong. She is fierce. And does she have a voice and a body? I want to be her. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't condemn her or belittle her or tease her or call her a wallflower. No, he reaches out to her gently, soulfully, with love and tenderness. Jesus. (laughs) Turns out my girlfriends and I have developed a collective crush on Jesus, and and it's getting a bit competitive. we've seen, to me he is always the cutest and the most soulful, although John the Baptist is pretty hunky too. (laughs) A few months ago we started making Godspell trading cards. We cut the cast pictures and the bios out of the playbills and we glued them on small pieces of manila paper. We collect our favorites and trade the others. On the Sundays we're not at the show, we meet at Friendly's after church with all these big noisy Catholic families eating brunch around us. Last Sunday we were actually fighting over who's the funniest, Who's the nicest? Who's the cutest? When Nan yelled, Jesus is gay! It got really quiet. We grabbed our trading cards and made a break for the cash register. My John the Baptist got left behind in the rush. But I don't think Jesus is gay. I think he's sweet. I think Nan said that just to keep him for herself. She's like that. (laughs) But this Sunday, we are back at the show. And on stage, the energy and animal spirits of the actors are contagious. They run the gamut of emotions, from silly, joyous, and playful in the first act, to sad, angry, and bereft in the second. And the betrayal at the end? Jesus is dying on the chain link fence, and the electric guitars shriek and wail. Our pain and anguish? We are devastated. In this dark theater, everything I keep hidden at home comes pouring out of me. I laugh and cry and love and grieve in a way that I never would in the light of day. Behind my closed door, Singing these lyrics, I have a voice, and it has full depth and range, small and trembling and roaring and angry and silly and fun and deep and sensual. Behind my closed bedroom door, in front of my mirror, I have a body that can strut and shimmy and sashay. (laughs) Godspell. This is my dream family, where everyone loves one another and cares for one another even Judas in his own way, (laughs) And, and Jesus. Well, I don't really know how to say this. Jesus is my dream father, brother, and boyfriend. Does that sound weird? Is it creepy, blasphemous? I don't mean it that way. I mean all I know is Jesus makes me feel like I could do anything and he would still love me. Godspell is the one place I feel safe enough to risk everything that I am. Godspell is my home.
1: (laughs) You are listening to Kathy DiOrio.
4: I'm from here.
1: Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of Freshly Minted Stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world, to laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmuth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Coleman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ohio, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. Hey, Kathy, drew, Kathy grew up in New Jersey. She'll hey. take you out. Hey, Kathy. <laughs> hey, Kathy Dododio. She lives near the Sopranos. You don't want to fuck with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not sorry, but you're going to be, Ken.
4: <laughs> well, you go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's very nice.